Hello, readers. Tony Dungy is a pro football Hall of Famer, a Super Bowl champ as a player and head coach, and a New York Times bestselling author. That includes the book Soul of a Team, a modern-day fable for winning teamwork. Tony, thank you for the time. How's it going today? Hey, doing great. Good to be with you guys. Tony, this book is about a fictional football team, the Orlando Vipers, that enters an offseason in total disarray that you consult to help them basically rediscover what it means to be a team, although the names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. You are essentially retelling (laughs) successes and failures you encountered along the way during your 40 years in football. You've published more than 10 books now. What was the goal in writing Soul of a Team? Well, we really wanted to talk about teamwork, about building a winning organization, and not sports teams, but any place where you're trying to get people to work together, whether whether it's a family, a business, uh, an athletic team, how do you do it? And so we wanted to talk about the principles, uh, show things that can uh, help create that atmosphere, and talk about things that, that destroy it. So we, we thought that would be the best way to do it, to kind of uh, invent a a situation where you see a lot of these things take place in the one-year time period and uh, give people uh, really the, the blueprint for how how to do it. And the most important principle behind this story is in the title of the book, and that is SOUL. And that is an acronym that stands for what, Tony? It, it really does. It stands for selflessness, which is the number one thing you, you have to get and generate. Uh, the O is owning your role. U is unity, and then the L is a larger purpose. And that's what we really talk about. How do you create um, self, selfless players, unselfish players? How do you get people to accept and own and excel in their role, even if it's not the role they necessarily would choose? And then how do you get diversified people, different backgrounds to come together in unity and the premise is you can't do it unless you have a larger purpose. If you're just talking about winning, uh, a lot of times that that's not going to unify people. But uh, when you get people to buy into the, the concept that we're all in this together for, for one greater purpose, something better than just winning, uh, that's when you really maximize things. You do a great job of emphasizing throughout the book that that larger purpose is the key to the concept of soul, but it's not always an easy thing to find. Do you have any personal examples that have helped you discover that larger purpose at various points in life? Well, I can tell you when I first came to the Pittsburgh Steelers, a rookie player, uh, 21 years old, and uh, Mr. Rooney, our owner, really just set the table for me. He talked about it. Uh, when he welcomed all the new guys and said, hey, you're going to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, you're going to have tremendous fan support. People will be out there in all kinds of weather. They'll be uh, wearing your jerseys, buying your jerseys, waving towels, cheering you on. Uh, but you can't just take all that in. Uh, we expect you to give back. Uh, we want you to be part of the community to make Pittsburgh a better place to live. We want to... Uh, represent the city in the right way and when he got finished it really made me think you know we're we're playing more than for the 47 people on the team and we are part of this and then when you see the tremendous fan support you feel like hey we can't let them down they're they're counting on us so uh i did feel like we were part of the fiber of the city 
and not just the team out there trying to win as 47 individuals. Coach, I'm glad you brought that up because you obviously, as a player and in your coaching career, you put an emphasis on making an impact, a positive impact and a difference in the community. And that's something that, you know, despite your your NFL career coming to an end, you still do that. You're a part of numerous uh, religious and charitable organizations throughout the country and throughout the world. I'm just curious, and I'm glad you brought up that Steelers story because it sounds like maybe this answers my question a little bit, but where did that come from from you? I mean, where did that start, and why is it so important to you uh, to make such a positive impact in the community that you live in? Well, I, I think that was a big part of it, and then also the way my, my parents raised me. Uh, one of my mother's favorite verses in the Bible was, what would it prompt a man to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? And she always emphasized to us that it's not so much what you do in life, but how you do it and how you treat other people and how you accept this responsibility of of being part of the solution to things. And then I got to Pittsburgh and, and got the same message from my coach, Chuck Knoll, and from our ownership. And so you think about, boy, you know, it's not just the paycheck that I can get, the salary that I can make. It's not just... Super Bowl ring, uh, but it's, you know, what are we doing and, and how are we doing it? And uh, if people are looking at me, young boys, and wanting to model their life after what we're doing, uh, what are we showing them? And when I started coaching, that was my message to the Tampa Bay Bucks when I took over in 1996. Yeah, we want to win a Super Bowl, but we want to do it the right way. We want to, when the young people look at you and say, hey, I want to be like my favorite player on the Bucks. We want that to be a good example, and we want young kids going in the right direction because of what they see you guys do, not only on the field, but what they see you do every day in the community and, and uh, where we live. So it was important to me. I'm glad you brought up Coach Knoll, Tony, because uh, you give a great quote in this book that came from Coach Knoll's mouth, and the quote goes like this, Mercenaries will defeat draftees, but volunteers will crush them both. What does that mean? Yeah, when I first started working for him, you know, he, he said when you go out scouting players, um, there's going to be some talented players that just play the game because they're good at it. And, you know, we can draft them. But if their heart's really not in it, it's not going to work out for us. And he said, then there's going to be some players who just play for the money, and that's a good motivation too. Uh, we can pay them a certain amount of money, and they'll want to stay on the team to do that because they like the lifestyle. But in the end, you don't win championships with players who just are good. You don't win it with players who are in it for the money. You win with players who want to be there. They love their teammates. They want to win. And they had that special desire to, to to be there, and they would volunteer to play. And those are the guys we're looking for. And that that stuck with me the whole whole time through my coaching career, uh, because you, you'd see it. You'd see people that weren't highly motivated. They were talented, but they didn't bring that extra to the team that you really need to be successful. It seems like one of the reasons why you were such a successful coach over time as well is because you were so so good at communication. And actually, when discussing the unity principle, you dis- you stress the importance of leaders communicating effectively. What is required for effective communication in your mind? The best leaders that I have been around, uh, Coach Noel, um, Bill Polin, our general manager at Indianapolis, Rich McKay was our GM uh, in Tampa, Excellent listeners. And that's one thing that I think we, we tend to forget about sometimes when I'm the boss or when I'm expected to 
be the leader. I'm telling everybody else what to do. But I'm not always listening to what their issues are, what their problems might be, to what their feedback is. And so I think the first thing is to be able to communicate. You have to listen and be able to hear from your players. And then you've got to respond in in a way that they can relate to. It's not always going to be the message that they want to get, but you've got to respond in a way that they say, yeah, he heard me. He understands what I'm saying. He may disagree with me. I might not get to do exactly what I want to do, but at least he heard me. Coach, you've brought up uh, Coach Noel a lot, both as a as a football coach and as a leader of men. And uh, you know, I, I'm curious if I'm not mistaken, your football playing career ended in 1980, and then the next season you started your coaching career working for Coach Noel as a defensive backs coach. Did you have interest in in being a coach growing up or during your playing days, or did Coach Noel have that much of an impact on you to where you really decided this is the line of work that I wanted to do? He did. He had a tremendous impact on me. Uh, I didn't grow up. Uh, wanting to be a coach or thinking I was going to be a coach. I loved the game. I loved uh, the practice and getting better and all the aspects of it. But he saw something in me, and he felt like I could develop that, the, the leadership skills and um, the, the desire to help people. And so he uh, hired me as a 25-year-old assistant coach, which was kind of unheard of in the NFL at that time. And, and I worked for him for the next eight years, and, and really that's where my style of coaching developed. Uh, probably 90% of what I did, um, I, I, I borrowed from coaching old. As we mentioned, uh, The Soul of a Team is a fictional account of you coming on as a consultant for the Orlando Vipers football team, and it's essentially you pulling off of 40 years of experience in football and then relating those experiences and explaining how uh, teams can possibly better handle certain situations or come together as a team. Now, when you started out as a consultant in the book, you were actually put in uh, what was essentially a supplies closet in the Orlando locker room, and you actually took that from a real life experience something that happened while you were the head coach in Tampa what did that involve yeah we had an older facility when I got to Tampa and it was actually built back in the days when they only had 40 players and they had eight coaches so we get there and now we've got 53 players and we've got 15 or 16 coaches and we don't have enough room and Herman Edwards was my assistant head coach (laughs) And he said, I don't need an office. You know, I'll come in here and next to the meeting room, there was a little closet space in there. He said, I'll take this because he wanted to show that it wasn't about having luxurious uh, accoutrements. It wasn't about, um, hey, I'm the assistant head coach. I should have the the next biggest office. We're all in this together. And it set a great uh, template for our our whole organization, the fact that our assistant head coach – had to pull a chair out of a closet every day to sit down in the car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that, Coach. And, and do you still keep in touch with Coach Edwards and also your, your thoughts on uh, leaving retirement? You know, Coach Edwards was working similar line of work to what you're doing, and he got back into coaching now with he Arizona did. State. What did you think of that decision? I was the most surprised person in the world, <laughs> but he wanted to go back. He really has a heart and a passion for just what we're talking about, team building, bringing people together, and he also has a, a heart for young men, and he's going to do a great job at Arizona State. If I had a son playing now, I'd certainly want him to play for Herm. Uh, and he, he's just doing doing great and loving life in, in uh, Tempe right now. Coach Dungy, I'm curious to know what uh, the most difficult of the soul principles has been for you to grasp in your life. 
I, I think the biggest thing is trying to find the larger purpose and okay. then communicate that to everybody else and getting them to buy into it. Um, because that's really what it takes to get the other three going. It, it, you know, we're not just naturally unselfish. That, that's not most people's uh, inner core. Uh, it's hard to necessarily take on roles that you don't agree with. I can remember many times as a young kid coming home telling my dad, oh, you know, I'm not playing enough. They, they're not playing me at the right spot. They're not giving me the ball enough. Uh, we, we, you know, we don't like the role unless it's the role that, that we want to have. And when you get people from all different backgrounds to create unity uh, and togetherness and coming together for a goal, those, those are difficult things. And once you realize that we're not going to focus or function well as a team if we don't have this, how can we do that? And, and what is the larger purpose? And how can you get guys to not necessarily think about their own contract situation or their own playing time or, uh, you know, just their comfort? But how can you get them to think about the team first? And you've got to figure that out, uh, how, to, how to get them to buy into that big picture. Why is the start of minicamp one of your favorite days of the year? I, I just love the coming together and saying, here's all the pieces we've got. How can we put this puzzle together? How can we make it work? And what is the puzzle going to look like at, at the end? You have a thought in mind. You have an idea in mind. You have new players that you think, boy, I really think this guy can do this, this, and this. You have some players that you, you don't even know. Uh, or, or you don't have an idea of what they can do, and then all of a sudden after two weeks, wow, this guy's better than I thought, or he can do more than I, I would have given him credit for. So having that blank canvas early on and seeing it come together, that was always fun for me. Now, when expanding on the ownership principle, you describe how during your head coaching days you used to organize mock games before the preseason started to put your guys through situational adversity. That situational adversity included you serving as a ref who would occasionally make a really bad call. Now, I'm guessing you never made a call as bad as what we saw in the Saints-Rams game in terms of uh, what determined the final outcome of the game. However, as somebody who serves as a consultant in this book in real life as well how would you recommend new orleans players and coaches handle that obvious sliding that kept them from being able to make it back to the super bowl you know believe it or not i made calls like that in the mock game <laughs> and just to see how my first stringers would respond i was always the coach of the of the rookies and the young guys and naturally the veterans should beat them but i'd make enough calls where the game would be in doubt and now you'd have to bounce back hey we thought we had the game won, we've got to go out there on defense and get them stopped. And and to me, that's where the, the Rams, or excuse me, the Saints need to go. And I think their players have done that. They've moved on and said, you know what, we had opportunities, we had a chance to stop them, we had the ball in overtime. So that one play didn't totally determine the game for us. And we, you know, can figure this thing out. So we've got to move forward, and we've got to get ourselves to the point where if we get in that situation next year, we'll do a better job. Well, Coach, if I may ask your thoughts, as a guy who was a coach for a long time in the National Football League, and of course you still cover the game for NBC, uh, a big topic of conversation since the NFC Championship game has been whether or not big-time calls or no calls late in games should be reviewed uh, or reviewable. Do you think that is a, a, a decision that the league should consider this offseason? I really don't. I'm not a replay fan myself. 
I really would hesitate to get replay involved in judgment calls, uh, and that's what pass interference is. And, you know, to say whether a guy stepped out of bounds or didn't step out of bounds, whether the clock hit 0-0, zero, zero, um, you know, those, those calls to me can be made and be reviewed. Did the ball hit the ground? But when you say, was it holding? Was it pass interference? Was this guy really onside? I, I think, boy, once you start opening that box, you really have a lot that could – I just don't like that whole concept. Wanted you to expand on, if you don't mind, Tony, uh, one of the things that you stress in the soul of a team, a modern-day fable for winning teamwork, uh, you really talk about staying consistent in the face of adversity. How does one go about doing that? My, my dad always um, hit me when I'd have these situations, and he'd say, what are you going to do to make it better? Don't dwell on what happened, and don't really you know, sit there and cry over what took place. Let's think about where we are now and what you can do to really make the situation better. And I think that's where my sense of consistency always came from. Whether we won a game, whether we lost a game, whether we had a disappointing overtime loss, okay, I learned from it, I look back at it, but my main focus has to be where do we go from here? And I think that's the way you stay consistent and you don't get too high or too low. Coach, uh, outside of writing and publishing books, which you've done a ton of, more than 10 of these nowadays, I feel like that uh, probably takes up a ton of your time. But, look, the offseason's coming up, and uh, I'm curious, you know, how do you usually spend the offseason nowadays that you're, uh, you're done coaching? What else is going on for you? Well, we, we still have seven kids in the house, so we have a lot of flag football, um, inter- uh, intermediate school basketball. We have uh, – kids things i'll be going to the super bowl as a fan um, my younger son one of my younger sons is doing a project at the nba all-star game so we'll get to do some fun things that, as a family that I, I don't get to do during the season and uh you know get involved in some charity things here in my hometown of tampa so just uh kind of going back to mr rooney's thought how do you make your community a better place to live when you're not playing ball he is Tony Dungy, Hall of Famer as a coach. He won a Super Bowl, of course, with the Indianapolis Colts, also as a player with the Pittsburgh Steelers as well. And he is a fantastic author. The new book is The Soul of a Team, a modern-day fable for winning teamwork. Tony, thank you so much for the time. It's been a pleasure talking to you today, sir. Thank you, Coach. Hey, thank you. It's been good being on with you guys. Thank you.